Imagine a world without waste. Imagine if you could make products and packaging right every time. It's possible with the help of SpecRight, the first cloud-based platform for specification data management. You can track and report on material usage year over year, run LCAs with the click of a button, and comply with new packaging regulations like EPR and the UK plastics tax. Go to specright.com backslash sustainability to learn more. Hey, today's podcast is brought to you by Myers Printing, which happens to be where I work as a senior vice president and coincidentally is the best sustainable printing company in the entire United States. Myers is a third generation family business on a mission to create a sustainable future for people, products, and our planet. We're proud to help the important work of the United Nations at COP28. For more information about Myers, the awesome products we manufacture, and our commitment to sustainability, click the link below in the show notes or reach out to me on LinkedIn or just through the Substack app. Join Myers in building a greener future, one package at a time. Hey, everybody. Good afternoon. <clears throat> good evening. Good morning. Good whatever the time. Midnight. If you're listening to this at midnight, go to sleep, please. Uh, it, good sleep. Good quality sleep is the key to life. Uh, I am uh, I'm excited for this interview, Jody. Uh, I've been following you on LinkedIn hey. for a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm joined by Jody. Pa Jody Polish Chuck. I nailed it, right? Nailed it. Perfect. Okay. You gave me a really like amazing way to remember it and i wrote it down and i still had to ask the question uh jody is uh originally from toronto is currently living in victoria british columbia and has a has reinvented the oreo and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it i also love i think uh you said wait for it um on your on your linkedin that you are uh, a professional figure outer and that you are not a vegan. I'm definitely not a vegan. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I mean, I think, I think almost any entrepreneur is a professional figurer outer. And so is that kind of I been just claim your... the title? That's, that's, that's perfect. Um, uh, I, I'll have uh, Amy Stedman on, who is uh, the co-founder of Beatbox Beverages, if you mm -hmm. follow the journey at all. And I've told this probably four or five times, uh, but her title was, is Git or Chief get shit done officer is what her, right. uh, her official title was. Um, so we're going to get into Sundays and how you reinvented the Oreo and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I'm also really curious about your entrepreneurial journey. So I want to start maybe predating your, your first go at entrepreneurship. Um, was this something that you were like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur or are you an accidental entrepreneur? No, I'm a, well, I would say I'm an entrepreneur by default in that I'm like many entrepreneurs, I'm completely unemployable. So, so it's like, it was like, okay, I don't know what I want to do this growing up. You know, I was like, I don't know what I want to do, but I know what I don't want to do. And it's basically all of these things, right? Anything that fits into like, you know, reporting to someone and, you know, having a, you know, a job, uh, whatever that means, going to an office, you know, which at the time was a thing. Um, so all of those things, I was like very clear, not for me. Got it. And to so, anybody watching this and listening to this, I would make it still to this day, a terrible employee, never hire me for anything. 
<laughs> you heard it. You heard it here. Maybe not first, but you did hear it here. Do not hire. Jody do not Wallace hire Chuck. me. <laughs> okay. Do um, I do think though that it does take a certain type of person. Not all. Obviously, all entrepreneurs are not monolithic, right? There are there are plenty of entrepreneurs who were tremendous employees. And, you know, just found a niche within that and, you know, created their own, created their own company. I would hope like somebody who runs, for example, like an HR firm, I would hope that mm -hmm. they know a thing or two about being a good employee or else sure. I'd probably question it. Um, yeah. So you're growing up in Toronto. Uh, you figure out you're, you're unemployable. Did you ever actually go into work and discover it? Or you just knew this is not going to be for me and I'm going to, did, did you go to college and uh, yeah. did you not go to college? Tell me about so that. I went, so the last, like what I would consider to be like a job, I mean, I've had lots of jobs since then, but like the last um, time when I was employed by somebody else was in college. So I went to university, we call them universities in Canada. So I went to university for a year. Um, and then before I was like, not for me, I'm out of here. And so during that year I had, uh, I worked at a, at a restaurant in the kitchen and it was fine, but I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like what I wanted to do. Got it. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was the last time I got a paycheck, like signed by someone. Okay. Was it from a restaurant in a kitchen? Yep. I was 19. It was like in 99, I think. Yeah. 99. Oh, got it. So we're almost exactly the same age. You were born in 1980. I was born in 79. 79. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then we're not. You are you. You are my elder by one yes. year. <laughs> um. Well, that's a. So you are. You're coming up then on almost 25 years of entrepreneurship. Is that safe to say? That's safe to say. Yeah. That's crazy. So your LinkedIn history is not all of your history in building and creating and working in an entrepreneurial environment. It's not because I'm in C because, you know, I, I live in CPG right now. And so kind of my history goes back to that, which is about a decade now. So my first CPG company uh, sort of packaged good consumable was uh, a cold press juice brand called the juice box, which my wife and I founded in Vancouver in 2013. That was my first like foray into food. How did you end up from, how did you go from Toronto to Vancouver? I mean, I don't know a lot about, I'm, I'm American, so I know nothing yeah. about Canada, but I know that Toronto to Vancouver is a large geographical and probably even cultural shift. So did you, how did you get there? So how I ended up there at that time was a very circuitous route, but originally when I left, like I left school uh, in just well, just like I said, 20 or no, sorry, uh, 99 when I left that uh, year of school. I was enrolled for a year, I should say. That. I only went to classes for like half a year. And <laughs> I paid the experience I, of most college kids is yeah. they're enrolled for a year, but they probably go to classes half of the year. Yeah, I paid for the year. There you um, go. And I just always wanted to be on the West Coast. I mean, I just like, you know, he, he, here's the thing, dude. Most people tell you they're from Toronto. They're not really from Toronto, right? So I didn't grow up in Toronto. I grew up in the suburbs of Toronto and it just wasn't that cool. And I wasn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like Ontario at all. Um, and so I just wanted to get as far away from there as possible. And, you know, in Canada, in the U S you have all these cool places to be in Canada. 
there are some very cool places, but there's not that many of them, right? And so it's like, I'm not moving to Saskatchewan. And so I just always wanted to be on the West Coast. I mean, it's freaking gorgeous. Like West Coast of Canada is one of the most stunningly beautiful places. Um, and just the vibe and the culture was very different. And it was just really more aligned with who I was or who I am and, and who I was at the time. And so moved to Vancouver in between. So that, that, that was like, you know, shortly after that, let's say two, 2000 or so in between that time and then relocating to Vancouver in 2013, I had lived in all sorts of different places. Um, so I moved to Vancouver in 2013 from New York where I was there, I was, I was working in the uh, fine art world. And oh, so, okay. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the impetus, the seed was planted when uh, we were in the city and it was kind of the beginning. I don't know if you remember, but like there was, you know, cold pressed juice was this tsunami of a, what people thought was a trend, but what ended up of course being as a huge fad and crashed and burned very quickly. And so we sort of rode the crest of that wave and okay. just, it was, you know, anyone who's had a lot of success in business will tell you that luck is a component of that. And, but what luck is, is timing, right? Like the two things are kind of interchangeable. And so, um, and so, yeah, so, you know, the, the, we kind of caught that perfect timing and grew a fantastic business in a year and were acquired after like 14 months. Modern consumers want modern buying experiences and they don't just want them, they expect them. Beyond killer on-site buying experiences, consumers expect seamless experiences from checkout to delivery. And when things go wrong, and they do a lot, we know this in the packaging industry, they expect the brand to make it right and make it right quickly. In fact, 89% of consumers say they stop buying from a brand after just one bad buying experience. That's where Label comes in. Label Protect is a brand first, buyer focused protection solution that's uniquely designed to make shipping issues a thing of the past. Instead of leaving your buying experience a chance, you can give your customers peace of mind at checkout knowing their orders are 100% covered from loss, theft, damage, and more. And with a 98% claim approval rate, 24-hour resolution time, and best-in-class revenue share, Label reduces customer support overhead, protects your bottom line, increases profits, and most importantly, Label keeps your customers coming back for more. Whether you ship 100 orders a month or 100,000, it's time to make the final mile part of your competitive advantage with Label. You can learn more by clicking the link in the show notes or going to LABLPX.com. That's LABLPX.com. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, did you build it with the intention of we want to, we want to build this and sell it. Was that kind no. of your intention? Okay. That's a great question, dude, because, you know, I feel like part of the reason why we were successful is because we went into it blind, just like we just wanted to build a cool business, you know, and it, you know, it's, it's interesting that you asked that because then following that where, you know, frankly, like the, the building and the, success that we had with that venture was easy and it was a lot of hard work but like when i looked back i was like that was easy 
Mm. Like, let's just do it again, right? But instead of selling the business for hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is what we sold it for at the time, let's sell it for hundreds of millions, right? That was such a unlock for me looking back on it because that is not the way you start a business. That is not the way you go into launching a business or a company, right? If that's why you're launching a business, like stop and reevaluate. And so I feel like where we just wanted to launch a cool business, we were successful. And where I was like, we're going to go and make hundreds of millions of dollars. We, I moved to Colorado with my wife and our daughter at the time, who was like four months old. We just had her and immersed myself into consumable CPG as, you know, in Boulder, it's like the epicenter oh, yeah. of, of that industry um, and started a company. And just had like, was just chasing dollars and ended up getting my ass handed to me for mm. four or five years. You know, the business wasn't a flop. We can talk about it if you want. I don't want to eat up the whole call, but uh, but it wasn't a flop, but it also, uh, it really taught me, like, I reverse engineered success. It taught me how, what to not do. Interesting. And um, yeah, because I saw that you were in Boulder and I was like, oh, that's fascinating that I was living in in uh, Colorado Springs at the time. Um, oh, nice. And I'm surprised we didn't cross paths. I, I knew a lot of people in the CPG Boulder market, um, mm -hmm. uh, specifically through like I've I've done a lot of work with like Interact brands there. Oh, nice. And then um, the Stanley Brothers and some other some other folks there in the Boulder area. Um, and you're right. It is a really vibrant market, but I think it's, it's, it's fascinating. And I, I trust me, we'll get, we'll get to some packaging questions. Everyone just calm down, right? Stop. <laughs> yelling at me. Um, but I, I do, I do find these things as, as part of the journey. Um, and I think they're really fascinating. So, because like, I remember being in college, I was at the Colorado state university, the Harvard of the Rockies, um, mm. in Fort Collins <laughs> and, uh, I was given the E-Myth book and this book sort of like encaps like it, it grabbed everyone's attention in the late nineties and early two thousands. And it was like, you have to build a business that is sellable, is scalable. And it was just very like regimented. And it seems like the entrepreneurs that I talk with have more of a story like yours where it's like, yeah, if you set out to build something to only sell it, maybe you can succeed. But if you don't, then it feels it's soulless. It's like this joyless mm -hmm. adventure chasing after something that you may or may not get. But when you build something for the joy of the build, for the creativity of the build, if it sells, then great. That's incredible, mm -hmm. right? And if it doesn't, you still got that that joy and that satisfaction on a on a daily basis. And I feel like there's got to be something there. There's got to be an emotional thing there that entrepreneurs have to connect with almost like the Simon Sinek start with why idea mm -hmm. of like, why are you actually doing this? And if it really is to build it and then sell it, you may end up in a, in a soulless journey with a, with a really sad ending. And I'm not saying that's what you had, obviously. I mean, there's probably some good things that came. You mentioned on LinkedIn that you learned a lot of lessons. You made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot of lessons. Um, and I'm sure you apply a lot of those to your current, you know, to your current company, but, um, 
I just think that's a really important point for people who are listening to this to know if you're thinking about getting into CPG, there are people who are are in the CPG world. Thanks to having guests like yourself. I had uh, Jake Carls from Midday Squares was on. Um, lots of stuff happening in Canada, actually. Erica Rankin's been on twice from Brodo. Oh, oh cool. Mark Samuels uh, from I1 Organics and on uh, uh, Sean from Dude Wipe. So, you know, I have oh, some nice. people who are kind of in that in that world. But I just think it's important. I think what you said there was so critically important. I don't want that to get lost. So thanks for thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And I mean, you just really hit the nail on the head. Like the way that I language it is like, if you just start a business for the money and with the, with just chasing dollars, you have, you have infected the business from like its seed stage with, Mm. with this thing. That's just like, like you said, it's just, it's shallow and you're not going to build the business and build the type of really deep enterprise value that is required for an acquisition, right? If you look at like a lot of the, a lot of the acquisitions that have happened in CPG over the last decade, you look at those companies, most of them, not all, but most of them were around for a while and have deep family stories, right? Yeah. Um, you know, our X bar is, like a needle in a haystack don't expect that to happen because it's probably not going to right if you look at companies like perfect bar i don't know how long they were around for before they sold but it was a while right and you know i think now it's like the three to five year thing is a fallacy it's like entrepreneurs who really understand like what it takes a real to build real enterprise value you're talking seven to 15 years right I mean, I, I talked to, uh, to when I was talking to Sean Riley at Dude Wipes, he worked a full-time job for seven years while he was getting, for seven years working right. on Dude Wipes, right? Like, and yeah. now they're, now they're doing 125 million a year. Like it's this great success story, but it wasn't, it wasn't like they started it, got a brand and then just like, ma- they went on Shark Tank and then magic happened. And, right. you know, so yeah, I, I, it's. It's such a great point that I think we do get spun up in some of these success stories that people don't always. And I really appreciate entrepreneurs like yourself, and you know guys like Mark and uh, and Will over at IQ Bar who who talk publicly about about their journeys and and share the ups and the downs of the journeys. I think is really important. So I appreciate that. Um. So uh, let, we're we're what fifteen minutes in? Holy crap! Um. I could keep going on and on about this because I find it really fascinating. Um, we could do a part two. We could we could always do a part two, but we're we should we should do a part two. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna do a, both a part one and a part two, I think, because I've got I've got so many other thoughts and questions for you. But Let's I want to talk it. about I want to talk about yeah. Sundays for a second. Um, so uh, you talk about reinventing the Oreo. Was this something that so you you go from cold press juice? I don't even know what was what was yuga. I didn't yuga was a uh, coconut milk plant based yogurt that had some f- additional. It had like ground chia seeds in it. It had some additional functionality from that, but it was effectively a uh, coconut milk yogurt. Okay, uh, so cold press juice, coconut milk yogurt, and now cookies. Um, is this like? You're sitting around with your family. I know you mentioned your wife and your daughter. Do you have one? Do you have multiple children? Just one child. One and done. 
Okay. So, so your family three and you're sitting there and you're looking at, you're looking at your non-vegan Oreos and you're eating them and you're like, these are delicious, but there's gotta be something better. And I think we can do it. Is that where, where does this idea come from to go? I'll tell you exactly where it came from. I remember the exact moment. Let me hear it. So this was uh, late 2019. I was just winding my, I was winding yoga down and um, Magic Spoon had just launched like that spring. And I just, I was just was sitting there and I was texting with my buddy who was, had some, you know, connections to the business and knew what they did in revenue, um, you know, in their first three quarters or whatever. And I just remember going, holy shit. And then I said, someone's got to do this for an Oreo. Like, this is not a stroke of genius. And I say that all the time. This is not a stroke of genius. This is the most obvious idea on earth. But I think that executing it is obviously, you know, that's, it's, it's all of it. And that was incredibly challenging. Were you able to then take some of those, I'm guessing this is a, this is like the dumbest question ever, but I, I'm just going to ask it because I already started it. It's like, words are coming out. Uh, <laughs> there's no dumb uh, questions. <laughs> there's just, there's no dumb questions, just dumb people who ask them. Um, <laughs> but you talk about winding down yoga and then starting Sundays. I'm guessing a lot of like the operational and, you know, marketing lessons in, in, in the mistakes that you made, you were able to then take those and with the wins that came from the juice box and say like, all right, I think we have this idea and I have the opportunity to execute it because I, I have, I can see a blueprint for how this is going to get executed and I have to go work. It's going to be hard. We can work it and we can do it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't go that deep right then. I mean, look, from from my five year, four and a half, five years of yoga, I learned so much that like I had a pretty good sense of like how to operationally and just from the product architecture to construct it in order to make it a win. At the time, there was no okay, so now there's a small BFY sandwich cream set. Okay, there's us. There's Catalina Crunch, there's Leo's, which is a Rip Van brand, there is High Key, and there's Lenny and Larry's. Okay. At the time, early 2020, not a single one of those products existed. Not one. Hmm. So it was completely wide open. It was all white space. And as a result of that, there was no development roadmap for this cookie at all because there wasn't anything even remotely close to it. And so in the beginning, it was just like, can we make it? Like, is the product viable? Right. You know, formulating low sugar, low carb products to taste like the things that they're supposed, that they're inspired by is really hard. Really, really, really hard. That's why anybody watching this or you, or I'm sure lots of people have tried similar products that are super low carb, low sugar, they don't have a reputation for tasting amazing, Correct. right? And so I wasn't willing to settle with a mediocre product because you just, it's, you're just, there's, there's no point. It's like, if you're not going to really hit it out, uh, hit it out of the park with the product, don't even bother. And so, and also because the thing that we have going for us is the thing that we have going against us, which is that we set out to recreate the most iconic cookie on earth. Fair. Right. And so I knew that if it wasn't close enough, it was it was going to be a done. So we had to get it really close. And that took three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. We were, it's three years of R&D. Almost killed me. 
were you working with like a, a kitchen then? Is that, or was it just like a food scientist? I worked one dude. We had three different R and D teams. First, we had a food scientist who basically got the formula to where it was ready for a trial. That took like a year. It was almost a year of bench work. Then we uh, had a second R and D team that was helping us with the commercialization at the plant. They got stuck at a certain point. And then we ended up bringing on a third R&D team who was able to solve that final technical problem that we had at the very end. Um, and we were already onto our third co-packer at that time. Okay, got it. Yeah, so it took three co-packers, three R&D teams, took uh, seven full-scale manufacturing trials. It was very expensive. The whole process cost like a quarter million dollars. Jeez. Um... Well, I'm glad you did it. I I want to uh, I I want to make a connection to a point that you made a while back, and then I'm going to pull it all the way forward. So you mentioned yeah. being in, in fine art in New York, and then when I look at the branding on your current packaging, I see so much thought and intentionality to the artwork on the box. Um, was that something? Did did you hire out a creative team to come up with this? Um, did you, I'm guessing you had a lot of input into it. I think it's, it's this, it's this great combination of fun and, and fine almost like it, it looks like a box. And I'm like, I kind of want to keep this box, mm-hmm. um, because it, it, it feels like artwork, but it's also fun enough that I, I have five kids that I think my kids would be like, yay. Sundays five kids here. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's a lot uh, of kids. It's all fun and games. So someone gets pregnant. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I mean, it seems that that, that's like the the connection that I make with with the box is just like the packaging feels so intentional and it feels beautiful. Um, It almost doesn't seem like it should be healthy. The food should be healthy. Is that sort of what you were going for? Or walk me through your your packaging design for the box, because it looks it looks awesome to be totally candid. That's the, that's the Thank best you. Way. Yeah. So I'll tell you the story about the packaging. And part of this is not a lot of people are going to know the beginning of this is that we had a whole other brand. So having been in consumer and, you know, knowing, having the experience I had, I know what really good design and branding can cost. Right. It's really, really easy to spend like 40 to 60 K. Easy on easy to spend 40 to 60 K on a brand ID. And, and we launched with, with one SKU. We have four SKUs. Now, have you seen our new SKUs? Uh, I've only seen the one the classic. Okay. Oh, dude, go on Amazon. They're not on our website yet. Go on, go on Amazon. We have three new SKUs uh, that we launched about a month and a half ago and all four are on Amazon. And I would encourage you to check them out because we don't extend the way that other brands extend other brands. They, they extend via flavor cue and color, right? And we did not do that. Like we basically, it was from scratch. We tore it down and we started over. It's a brand system. It's a design system where, you know, you can connect the SKUs to one another, but uh, they're, each one is like its own unique design. Got it. I'm, I'm um, right now. Yeah, pull them up on Amazon, dude. You'll see them. I'd love to get your initial reaction. Um, And so basically, I was like, look, this is my 
thought process at the time. I was like, we don't have 40 to 60K to spend on this. So, you know, not all things that are more expensive are better, but design is typically one of those things where cost is correlated to to quality. And that's and there's an asterisk there because I've seen some $250,000 brands that are just should not exist. I'm just and like, some rebrands that cost millions of dollars that I'm like, uh, well, right. Yeah. It's like, for? I hope you didn't pay for that. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I was like, let's find that sweet, let, let's find an agency that punches above their weight that I feel does good work. Let's spend like 10 to 15 K and let's do it. And it was terrible. It was so bad. Obviously not going to name who we worked with, but it was just like really, really bad. You know, as this is a nuanced thing that you will probably understand is that brands at a certain point, like a brand starts to take on a life of its own. And at a certain point, as that idea starts to really marinate and gestate, it starts to tell you what it wants to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so in the beginning, I guess with that first brand, I didn't really know what it wanted it to be. And I was leading the design. So it just wasn't very good. And it was just very like, there was no, it wasn't, there was no brand. It was a drugstore brand. There was no brand like depth to it at all. It wasn't mm -hmm. like, wasn't, you know, I talked about this on LinkedIn this week. This is my opinion. And is that there's, it's not about, is your design good or bad? It's not about, is your brand good or bad? And of course there are aspects to that, but it's about, are you forgettable or are you unforgettable? Yeah. Right. And most brands are forgettable and forgettable brands are just really cost a lot more money to build. Correct. Right. And so I knew that uh, I knew I wanted it to be, and I could, you know, if we do part two, I don't want to derail this by pulling up the creative brief, but basically this is how the brand happened. So I connected with a um, packaging design, creative director, packaging designer who lives in New York. Her name is Christine Brown. She's fantastic. We have a very close relationship now. We work together on everything. She's our kind of like de facto head of design. Nice. Her agency is called Group Chat. Shout out Christine. She's awesome. Um, and so it connected with an illustrator in Belgium whose name was Django Jim. You can look him up online. Pretty well known in the illustration world. Okay. Um, and so the three of us, he had a creative brief, which I'm paraphrasing my own words now, but it's basically like, so here's the idea behind the name. Because I actually don't get asked about the name a lot. Here's the idea behind the name. Sundays is uh, all of the most nostalgic, happiest moments of your childhood all happened on a Sunday afternoon. Yes. And which for many people is true, right? Yeah. And that those memories are anchored in the same place as the memory of eating this cookie as a child, which is also like a super relatable experience in the West. I used to joke, by the way, that the serving size should say sleeve. Yeah, that was that was the realistic. It's like you get a cup of milk. I mean, I did yes. this all the time growing up. I would yep. get done with like basketball practice. And yeah, I would just eat sleeves of Oreos. Honestly, just pound They're them. So good. They're so, so good. good. Nobody stops eating Oreos because they don't because they stop liking them. 
Yeah, they're they're right? either full or they they're either full with uh their their bellies or they're full of a, a twinge of guilt. <laughs> no, I don't mean, no no, I don't mean stop. I don't mean I don't mean like stop. I mean like eliminate them from your life. Oh, yes. Yes. Right? That's uh, what I mean. Nobody does that cuz they don't like them. That's fair. Right? So, anyways, that that idea in mind about the brand and the and that ethos and so we really so the the creative brief was like i still like remember and i could pull it i'm not going to right now because i don't want to derail but uh, um if we do a part two i'll have it ready it was like a couple sentences and it was basically like it, it's it's this stream of consciousness of just nostalgia and fun and joy and happiness yeah right it, i love it i mean that's that's how it hit me um i actually just ordered uh thank you amazon for being awesome uh, tomorrow morning, I will have some mint. Uh, oh, amazing! Uh, showing up to my house, and uh, yeah, I'll do an unboxing video. So I'm, I'm so amazing. Good. I can't wait uh, to see what you think. They're so good. Yeah, I love, uh, I love the power of the of the internet. And Amazon, for all the hate they get, is that was the best advice that Sean ever gave to me. Helping my son launch a brand was he was like, "Don't overthink it." Like, yeah, just. Check, dude, check it. Amazon does a really great job. Dude wipes. They don't even sell e-commerce anymore. They just on their website. It's like, just buy it on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so, and the cool thing about this man is that like, I'm so proud of our brand. It literally, it came, I don't, it's, it was one of those lightning in a bottle, magical things that like, I don't even know if we could recreate it in the same way. Like it was really one of those magical moments that just happened. We had no planogram. There was no competitive analysis. There was none of that. There was no like dive into the category. There was no mood board. Like find me one single branding project that's like professionally done that doesn't have a mood board. Yeah. Right. We just did it. And it was like from the very first designs, it was like, that's it. And it came together fairly quickly. Um, it. And it's just, it just was powerful. And I was just like, holy shit, this is so good. I couldn't believe and that, it. And that was a year ago. So here you are, uh, right? The company, you, you've, you've officially been in market for a year. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, two days ago was our one year in market. That's, that's incredible. Um, and if you're if you're listening to this in the future, because these episodes don't release this, that would be uh, December eleventh. Yeah, December eleventh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's awesome, Jody. Uh, like we've mentioned now a couple times, um, I want to I want to be able to dive back in. You know, maybe do a bit more of uh, uh, kind of going through going through your packaging a little bit more in depth because I think it's I think it's it, the the look and the appearance of it is is unbelievable. Um, I'm sure you've learned a ton of lessons from your other CPG, not only your experiences, but my guess is because you put yourself out there that you have other CPG people who reach out to you, um, that you are are willing to help out and um, of course. You know, on, on their journey. So uh, with that, do it all uh, time. well, then uh, let's wrap this up with uh, I'm going to put a link to your Amazon page so people can go buy the product for themselves. Um, Thank you. Is that the that's the best way for them to buy it or direct from yeah. the website? Amazon, I would say uh when is this gonna go live? 
uh i that's like a, it's like we choose our own adventure it can go okay. live when you want it to go live jody i would say amazon we are we're just about to launch a new version of our website uh the, currently only the classic is is on the website so to answer your question i would say amazon just to be safe so that all four SKUs are available you can also click the link and go to eatsundays.com whenever you're whenever you're listening to this and yeah. maybe the site maybe the new site has been launched and you can order directly from them there um That'd i'm a great. big advocate i'm a big advocate for people to order you know, directly from the, from the company. But uh, I also know that it's, it's also nice to get product out of the Amazon warehouses. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever, uh, whatever the customer wants, we're here to give them whatever they want. Awesome. Well, you'll be able to click that link, uh, eatsundays.com. Jody, I'll put your LinkedIn um, profile down down the show notes as well, because I think uh, you've been uh, just like so many other in the entrepreneurial world, just been putting yourself out there in public and and talking about the brand and the challenges and the good things and i think it's been great so uh, everyone connect up with jody go try uh the reinvented oreo um i think you're gonna love it and uh stay tuned for uh for a part two with Let's do jody, it. with jody polish chuck uh, thanks we'll, adam we'll talk about we'll talk about boulder colorado and uh why i don't want to live there <laughs> okay <laughs> really really appreciate your time and you have me thanks brother Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Jody. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, congrats. You made it to the end of the podcast. If you're looking for more great podcast material in the packaging industry, please check out Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors and the newly redesigned Package Unboxed with Avelio Matos. Go find them wherever you listened to this podcast. Thanks, everybody.